This is the A-B Testing 343 Podcast, a podcast where we ask one of the three listeners of the A-B Testing Podcast three questions about almost anything. ABT 343 is a fun slice of what's going on in the world of modern testing. Let's get started. Happy New Year, everyone. We're here on New Year's Eve, and uh, today for the 343, I'm joined by Connor Fitzgerald. Say hi, Connor. Uh, hi, Alan. <laughs> and and to all three, list, to the other two listeners, of course. Yes, and the other two listeners, of course. <laughs> Good. Well, excited to have you here. Uh, I have probably said this before on this podcast, but uh, having being able to listen to the stories of people who listen to the podcast and have tried some or all of the modern testing principles is uh it's fun for me and i'm just touched by the amount of feedback we've gotten about these and and people are really enjoying these so thank you for uh being the latest volunteer for this thing oh the pleasure is all mine i'm glad to be here today i've been uh, listening to these podcasts quite some time so it's uh, an absolute pleasure to be interviewed by you today so thank you. And as you can tell from Connor's accent, he is from the uh, southeastern America. Just kidding. <laughs> Where are you from, Connor? I'm from Cork, all the way down the south of Ireland. Yeah, I uh, I had a coworker. Uh, what was I? I've forgotten his name. Someone I talk with a lot at Microsoft uh, from Cork. Yeah, very oh, really? similar accent. Uh, oh, it's escaping me. Brent knows him. Brent actually introduced us. But okay. So never mind. Tangent number one completed. So let's Perfect. get started. Why don't we do a good warm-up question today? Tell me all about your life, uh, but limit the limit it to your testing career and your current role. Okay, perfect. So um, the last uh, 15 years, I've been working as a tester. So this is my 15th year. And um, I guess some stuff that you might find interesting, or I might flip through a couple of different things. So the various titles I've had is a consultant, SDET, I've been lead manager as well. Uh, Industries-wise, I've worked in finance, so things like hedge fund, insurance, banking, a little bit of fraud prevention at one stage as well. And then I've been telecoms is the other major area I've been in for a number of years, which was working with uh, embedded systems with the like of Intel, and also working on a platform for telcos as well, the likes of Vodafone would use it, that particular platform I worked on. Then companies-wise, I've kind of tried all the different sizes. So I've worked in a startup where somebody was essentially out of their living room, and that's where we used to have the, the monthly meetings. Uh, worked for mid-sized companies and all the way up to enterprise, like I was saying, Intel, and also when I was in consultancy, I was on site with companies like ING. Uh, location-wise, we, we chatted about Ireland already, but um, most of my experience has actually been in Ireland, so Cork the last number of years, but I actually started in Shannon in County Clare in the west of Ireland, and also did a, a stint in Dublin uh, on the east side. And uh, I did a year in Sydney. So when I was doing a round-the-world trip a number of years ago, I uh, stopped off in Sydney for a year to uh, replenish the funds before I continued the second part of that trip. And um, also, as well as what I've been lucky to travel quite a bit as well, places like London, uh, Bangalore, and you'll be glad to know Seattle as well twice uh, in the past. So um, the most current role then, I've been working with Popolo, for the last three years and I've been working there as a senior software tester. I'd previously been working as a manager and I kind of flipped back to being probably more of a hands-on software tester. So Poplodin is a mid-sized company based in here in Cork. 
And often people like myself who work in Ireland work for American companies and the satellite offices is here. So Poplar is actually the reverse of that, where it's a, uh, a Cork company uh, started here as a startup and is a mid-sized company now. Uh, it's a really interesting space. It's very different to any of the industries I've worked in before because it's internal communications or also can be termed as employee engagement. So the Poplar platform allows large firms to plan, target, and monitor the impact of internal communications all in a single platform. So what that means is like the CEO of a company may want to send out an email or maybe mobile content to all the employees or a subset of employees. And then they want to get some analytics to show what were the most popular posts, uh, were people actually reading the content. And then they can do things like base campaigns around that. So like say they want to increase awareness around something and they, they can maybe match that into an email uh, campaign as well. So it's been very interesting working in the space the last three years. So the last 18 months, I've been working with two teams, a mobile team and then a content team. So just kind of working with those two teams, uh, working from the idea phase to the customer rollout phase, all the way through. So whatever that involves, workshops, uh, planning sessions, uh, facilitating bug bashes, joining in and pairing or mobbing. And um, also as well, the teams do uh, level three support. So essentially if level one or level two customer support can't figure out a problem or fix it, then it comes to us and we'll root cause it and resolve it as quickly as we can. And uh, it's been really interesting working with those two teams. One team I've been working with for three years ever since it started and the second team I've been working with for 18 months. So from the very beginning, and it's really interesting to see those teams mature and, and change over time. And it's been an excellent journey to date anyway. It sounds very modern tested-ish. So yes. is your role <laughs> sort of a, it's, am I kind of reading between the lines, say working with teams, is it sort of an internal consultant kind of role or a coach? Or how would you describe the role you have? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like what, how would I describe, I describe myself as a tester. But I guess other people who would have done the role maybe would have called themselves more of a coach because I'm working with two teams. I'm trying to influence them. So often I probably term myself more a facilitator. So what I'm trying to do is influence the quality on, on both teams and kind of focus very much on encouraging communication and collaboration, which isn't that difficult because the people I get to work with are excellent that way. So. Um, I call myself a tester, but I guess I could call myself a coach or maybe some sort of a test facilitator, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> the what you call yourself doesn't matter, but it's the role and what yeah. you do. And you can't, of course, can't hear it, but I'm not nodding my head quite a bit because it's very similar to what I've done and what I've been doing for years. It's just sometimes you can cause a lot of change just by asking the right questions. And you mentioned facilitating, and that's the bulk of what I do. I get people to talk with each other. I get them to pause and think and ask the right questions and think about what they're doing. And it ends up making quality improvements or process improvements. Or, just some, or I should phrase it, though that facilitation and asking those questions accelerates the achievement of shippable quality. Indeed. Yeah, I fully agree, Alan. Yeah. So very cool. And this is yet another example of you've, well, I'll loop back to, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. So I'll ask another question instead. So okay. <laughs> got plenty of words to put in your mouth, but uh, obviously you um, didn't yell no when I said this sounds very modern testing-ish. Testing -ish. 
Uh, but what led to your interest in modern testing? Um, I guess it starts like a lot of the listeners, uh, the interviews so far, and from being at conferences and speaking to people who also enjoy modern testing, they say they got to the point, like myself, there must be a better way to test. Or even simply, there must be a better way to develop software and deploy software. So the majority of my early career was very traditional testing. So you named traditional testing, and I was probably doing it. So test plans, uh, test scripts, uh, waterfall. Uh, in all honesty, when I reflect back on it, I was probably the bottleneck or safety net for teams. Uh, very certification-focused. I did my STQB exams. Uh, but the p big turning point for me was I worked on two projects that failed. Uh, the first probably wasn't such a large one, but the second one I'd been working on for over two years. And when I saw that second project fail, it really was a catalyst to find a better way of doing things, uh, even probably just beyond testing or quality, but even how you deliver software from start to finish and how do you make it successful. And um, there was one particular company that I worked with, which was actually the Seattle-based company that I was working out of the Cork office for. And there I saw like what success looked like. And, and to me, culture was the key in that company. There was a lot of collaboration. Communication was at the heart of everything we did. For example, instead of writing a big, huge test plan, I'd write a one-page test plan. And then the test team and the people who were going to develop the software reviewed that test plan with me. And then that just drove a lot of how we, we did our testing, things like that. There was a, a DevOps culture there probably before a lot of companies were doing that. And uh, a concrete example of that was that we began to release software uh, for the first time. So prior to that, I would have tested the software with the development team and then somebody else would have released the software. But we took responsibility in that company for releasing the software to production. And we had the, what I termed thoughtful use of automation and tools. So uh, we looked at what was the critical things to automate and what were the best tools to use. And also that was the place where I began to learn about bug bash, uh, to use bug bashes and in a way began to learn how to facilitate. So... Um, I guess that was a way of I'd seen how possibly it could be done, but um, I needed to kind of path, like learn, lead out a path for myself. And a journey it took was that I began to read about context-based testing. Now I know we don't talk about schools of testing anymore, but I just simply read an article on context-based testing, and that led me on to probably what I think is the best book I've ever read on the, the topic of software testing, which is Lessons Learned in Software Testing. Uh, that then in turn led to the rapid software testing course, which was uh, led by Michael Bolton. That was at TestBash Manchester 2017. And because exploratory testing was such a big part of that, then that led me on to the excellent book, Explore It. And then I got to the point where I was starting to look at the wider context of quality. Um, you know, like I was saying, testing just not as an activity, but, you know, testing as an activity rather than a role, I mean, sorry. And then that's when I encountered modern testing. And... I'd been playing around with a lot of the ideas uh, before I'd ever seen the modern testing principles, like a lot of the listeners say. But when I encountered the principles, it was the fact that it was so clearly articulated by Brent and yourself. And it was quite obvious that you'd put a huge amount of thought into it. So I particularly love the deep dive of the uh, modern uh, testing principles. I think it's episode 67 to 93. Um, well you really remembered. Deep dive into them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you go into real detail in, in those episodes. And um, 
Uh, I just found it great. And for any of the listeners, don't just stop at 93, of course. There's some great episodes after that and before it, but that's where the real deep dive occurred. And uh, yeah, I've just loved it. Um, and then I suppose just, you know, began to think then how could I apply modern testing uh, in my role and uh, began to talk to others about how they were doing it, I guess. Yeah, but it's been a journey over maybe three or four years and it's been an interesting one, said least. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like, and there's so much to unpack there, so many things I want to poke in on. Uh, It sounds like you had kind of, like a lot of people, had kind of been doing something very modern testing-ish before you discovered the the principles and and the work that Brent and I have done on the topic, which is cool and great and probably the way it's going to happen more often. One thing... And just to reiterate, and you know this, but maybe the listeners don't know, but Brent and I, we didn't write these from scratch. Like, we're going to make a new thing. We just, really, the principle started off as, let's try and, we had been talking about modern testing for a year or more before then. In fact, we had our, I think our debate of the modern tester, modern test manager versus a traditional test manager was somewhere around 57 or 60 or somewhere in there. And we've been talking about this concept of, of modern testing, which again, not that modern, nothing to do with testing. It's about uh, building a quality, quality culture and quality organ and accelerating the delivery of customer value. We've been talking about that for, for a long, long time. So when we wrote the principles and iterated on them and got them, finally got them right, the process was just writing down what we had already trying to document what we had already been talking about. And they've, they've kind of stuck. I'm, I'm actually, it's one of my, the pieces of work in my entire career I'm most proud of because these just make sense. Then you mentioned also a DevOps culture. And one thing I've noticed is I've spent more and more time in DevOps and coming from the modern testing uh, background and doing DevOps roles and being in running DevOps teams is that a DevOps culture and modern testing have a lot of overlap as well. I mean, DevOps, yeah, do, yeah. DevOps is a lot about accelerating the achievement of shippable quality. So it's, it's, it's fun to see that come up. And the more and more we see, uh, we're seeing testers uh, speak at DevOps conferences. Lisa Crispin and Abby Bangzer uh, are both speaking at a delivery conf in Seattle next month. Uh, and probably if you've heard the AB testing end of year extravaganza, I think that was one twelve, maybe one eleven. I, I can't quite yeah, remember. I, I, to I, pre- you know, I predicted I'm probably just going to do one conference again this year. Uh, <laughs> probably it very, very likely will not be a test conference. It will be a, a dev conference. I may go back to Aura dev or probably even better if I could start going into the DevOps tour of duty it might be kind of fun. So lots yeah. of overlaps there. And then one other thing to unpack is, sure. it's a two-part, is I love that you've mentioned all these books and classes that got sort of to lead your own opinion of testing. And that's what I tell people. If you get all your information about testing from one place, you are going to have a sort of a skewed view of the testing world. And what I like from you is you have pulled in information from all kinds of sources. Uh, you've read different books from different authors, taken classes, and you've used those to form your own opinions about how testing should be done or how quality should be built into a product. So I applaud you for that. And then the one book I wanted to drill in on was, I think, an underrated book 
not read by enough testers, especially people moving into test coach roles, is Elizabeth Henderson's Explore It book. Because not Indeed, only yes. is it good, a good book on exploratory testing, but it talks about coaching developers to do exploratory testing and stories about that. And that to me was maybe not directly, but definitely subconsciously one of the things that told me I could, that it was. So when that came out, I don't think I had, if I remember right, I was still working on the Xbox team when that came out. I'll have to look up the years. Uh, my whole okay. my, my whole life, my my history of life is what was I working on at the time this event in history happened? <laughs> so that's how I yeah. remember years. <laughs> but it wasn't until after I left that team that my next every job I've had since then, I've been in a role of or at least part of my job was to coach developers how to test. So definitely some influence from that book and, and how they recommended. So thanks for bringing yeah, that definitely, up. Yeah, yeah because I, I think I'm the same. It's the... When I started to talk to developers about exploratory testing, initially I didn't think I had the correct language or approach to do it, but after reading that book, there were so many examples I could bring to them. And every time I brought an example from that book to developers, they found it incredibly interesting and it was something they could add to their testing skill set, which was really interesting for me. Yeah, and just the idea, like so many of the testers, when I came to Unity, uh, I'll back up a little bit. On my previous teams, I did a lot of bug bashes with teams and sat with them in a room and, and tested things together. And we do some learning from that. But when I joined Unity as a quality director or, or quality manager, QA manager for the first time in a long time, I took a little different approach and encouraged them to pair test as much as possible versus being the bottleneck because there would be some knowledge transfer that would happen. And I'm sure. blown away by how much just getting in a habit of pair testing changes together will help developers learn how to test. And in fact, one of the best people on my team that was really good at pairing and and making sure that he would say, I don't need to test that. You've done your due diligence or help them test when they needed it. That team no longer has or needs a dedicated testing specialist. That pairing really, really helped. So again, glad you're doing that. How they recommend it. Thank you. Yeah. Principle seven in place. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, you had mentioned a uh, little sub question here, not on our list, but mm-hmm. when we wrote the principles, we thought number seven, of course, would be the most controversial, but it ends up it's not because uh, teams, it isn't the get rid of testers principle. It's the you may get so good, you may not need a tester principle. But you're working a lot with data in your current role and the the data principle isn't the controversial one it's the one where we say that the customers uh are the only ones that can evaluate quality sure. uh, people don't like that so what's been your experience with that principle it sounds like you've probably touched a little bit on that at pop at poplo yeah so uh, like principle five around the customer is like the only one who's capable to judge the uh, judge and evaluate the quality of the product essentially is it yeah, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, so I guess one thing. Sorry, sorry, not we, not one of your prepared questions, but uh, I'm I'm curious because of your background and the company you're working at. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, so like, so we've probably matured more as uh, as teams around this. Like, so the the first team that I'm working with over three years, we've probably learned over time more and more to engage with the customer as early as possible. Uh, to the point that we got very good at 
finding beta customers to work on new features with to ensure that we were going in the right direction. But based on some of the successes there, we actually started to look at if we're doing major bug fixes and it was important to maybe a couple of customers, we asked them to come on board as beta customers and that's worked really well as well. So they're often giving us um, really early feedback about how the fix is going to work and sometimes it can be differences in infrastructure, things like that. So they're often giving us really good quality feedback. And so because we're just working maybe with five or six key customers, sometimes we can get solutions to a very good standard before we roll it out to everyone. And we can also give feed, we can get things in place for the support team as well so that they know what may be coming based on feedback from customers. So uh, that's been really good. And um, with the second team I was working with, the mobile team, that was really interesting because we went from the idea of we're going to have a mobile app to a sale in six months. So again, there we were highly engaged with a number of customers. Again, it was around approximately six customers who worked with us to develop that mobile app. And the feedback we got from the customers was invaluable. Um, And it was really a partnership. And that's really the thing. If you can find customers you can work with who know things aren't perfect, but you're iterating towards something better, and they can have an early influence on that product, uh, great things can happen. So I've seen on both teams how engaging with the customer and the importance of the customer. And I think principle five actually links back to one, uh, because if you're going to make money, you have to, people are going to have to pay for it, whether it's like they're going to upgrade or they're going to buy something new from you. And internally, you can run things past people and they'll think it's great. But it's not until you get in front of customers that you get that feedback. But also, they're the people who have to sign the dotted line to say we're going to pay money for this. So I think five and one, are to me, are very highly interlinked. Yes, yes. And one of the things, and honestly, we realized this a little bit after the fact, after we'd been vetting them. In fact, it's probably we realized it while we were doing the deep dives, is how much they support each other. There is some intertwinement, which I guess... We're just trying to capture the things that we believe are the, the driving factors of modern testing that make sense. But I'm pleasantly surprised how well they work together. Indeed. <laughs> so how else have you used uh, modern testing in your current role? Well, I wrote down a couple of examples and um, I'll share a couple with you and then maybe you can dip uh, in and out of the ones that maybe you find interesting. Sure. And. So one thing that I was thinking about was that the key thing is to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. So one thing I did with one of the teams recently, uh, working with the team lead, was we use a tool called Split. And Split is how we manage our feature toggles. So I took it on as a little mini project at one stage to review all the various feature toggles we had in place. And what spurred this was after reading Accelerate, I wanted to figure out once the software is uh, committed, um, like sorry, once it's, once it's merged and it's ready to go, how long then does it take to get rolled out to production and actually get into the hands of customers? And what I kind of started to figure out that is if I could track the status of different feature toggles, then I could track where the code was and how long it was taking to get the customers. And through that, uh, by tracking the status of all the various feature toggles, we started to realize that there were some feature toggles we could get rid of. There was um, some instances where you know, software could have got out customers sooner. And and some um, instances like where stuff was ready for rollout, it's just because sometimes you're managing a lot of them. So uh, based on 
my learnings from that I shared with the department. We do concept of show and tell on Wednesday mornings where we share ideas like this. And other teams then uh, got interested in it as well, and this topic as well, and, and began to to track their feature toggles in in more detail as well. So it may seem like a little simple thing to to you know keep track of your feature toggles and where they are, but it really plays a critical part of, of accelerating you know the achievement of shippable quality, and also I think really interlinks with the book accelerate as well. Yeah, I that's um, I had some flashbacks on my last project at Microsoft. We had we had feature toggles in place, and they if you don't watch them, they can create some tech debt. And I uh, frequently, I won't say constantly, but frequently had to go follow up with toggles that have been around for months. Sometimes, like, oh yeah, we're not going to ship that. That was an experiment that failed. Well, take take the toggle out. There's a we had a culture of shipping all the new features behind a feature toggle. And then once it was uh, done and ready for wider use, we turned that toggle basically on by default or, or remove the toggle. But we, if for whatever reasons, I don't know if sure it was the implementation or what, or the, or the culture, but we kept a lot of the old ones around and we had a massive list of these feature toggles. So tracking those is a good idea. And I'm, it sounds like I, I'm pretty excited about the company you're working at because not only doing some things that, I mean, feature flags certainly aren't uh, brand new or elite, but uh, they're so powerful, such a powerful tool to use to release safely. If we look at, you know, testing is one thing we could do to reduce risk, but another big lever we have in the services side is the operability, having safety in the way we deploy, the way we monitor, the way we observe, and the way we can roll back. And so it's exciting to hear, it's exciting to hear that you're using tools like that. And it sounds yeah, yeah, like also yeah. your team works together really well. You mentioned earlier uh, looping in support you know, to, so they know what's coming up. And it uh, sounds like a good company. Oh, yeah, it's really uh, excellent. I can, you know, as culturally of companies I've worked with, it, it is the best I've ever worked with. So it's, um, it's you know, when Sunday night comes around, you look forward to going into work on Monday morning, which is uh, a nice thing to be able to say. I like that. That's probably uh, that's one of the reasons I left Microsoft is I wasn't excited to go to work anymore. And I am again, even though yeah. most days I work from my home office, which is about 20 feet from my bedroom. So it's not... I don't have to maintain my excitement to go to work for very long. <laughs> very good. <laughs> did, did you have another example? Uh, yeah, there's a couple more there. Um, like I put a, big, a conscious effort in moving away from being a bottleneck and uh, a gatekeeper and, and focusing more on whole team testing. So I particularly started to use Kanban to uh, tackle the acceptance queue bottleneck that a lot of people encounter. And uh, probably more books there that probably influenced that was uh, Kanban in Action, which I think is probably the best book in Kanban. Uh, the Goal, which I'd read a couple of years previously and then only started to use. And then, of course, the work of uh, Janet Gregory and Lisa Crispin had an influence on that. So it was just beginning to use you know, the Kanban principles to, to, to see that the acceptance queue was, was the bottleneck and that I was probably being a gatekeeper there in the early days of the first team. And then we began to share the responsibility of that acceptance queue, began to do things earlier. And we actually started to move to the point that we started to pair more and mob more. So we kind of started to move nearly towards one piece workflow for a finish, uh, where in both teams now they pretty much mob the whole time, uh, so which means there's only one item being worked on at any one point in time. And of course, then you get all the quality benefits from that. So similar to the feature toggles, it might only seem like a small thing, but I think 
more people, if, if they learn about Kanban, um, I think it can have a huge impact in quality. Yeah, I and you know from listening to the show that Brent and I both massively prefer Kanban as a uh, project tracking method over Scrum and its variants. I can yeah. do a whole other podcast telling you why, but we'll save that for another day. Maybe Brent and I should talk about that, why we prefer Kanban. Yeah. <laughs> and we, if, we, if we haven't already, it's probably come up in bits and pieces. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you saw, over the weekend, I reread, actually, I've forgotten what day it is because I'm on vacation, but sometime in the past few days, I reread Shape Up, the, the book by Basecamp. It's an ebook about okay. how they do project estimation. And... I'm not a huge fan of the book, but this my second read through, I found a couple of gems I liked and one about project tracking, but one in the end of the book, it's it seems highly relevant to what we're talking about. And I, I tweeted it, but I'm going to read it out loud also. Therefore, we think of QA as a level up, not a gate or checkpoint that all work must go through. We're much better off with QA than without it but we don't depend on QA to ship quality features that work as they should. And I, as you and I know, there are some testers that that still like being the gatekeeper, but I really liked that phrasing of that. Uh, They're not the bottleneck. They definitely, having that test specialist can add some, for almost every team, can add some extra oomph and extra quality and find some of those edge cases, but they don't let that person be a bottleneck, which I think is great. And elsewhere, yeah, elsewhere yeah. in that chapter, they said that they have, at the time this book was written, they had one QA for their entire engineering team, uh, 40 or 50 people. So I think it's, I, I like that ratio. Excellent. Yeah, that's a really good quote. I think it fits well. Uh, any other examples you want to go through before we wrap up? Um, what else Um, the developers do the majority of the testing now they do the majority of the automation we had um, SRE team join us and that's had a big effect on observability Uh, so we do a lot of monitoring and alerting now Uh, we use synthetic tests and another tool that we start to use is Sentry as well to get our JavaScript errors which has been really cool Uh, we're very much into learning so we're doing retros all the way through and we've matured our retros uh, post-mortems is a new way of us learning. Uh, we've been in them now for about six months and they've been working really well. And what else? We use analytics. So we try to use analytics to start to figure out should we be using something or not. And then again, use analytics at the end um, to figure out if something was successful or not. And we try to use analytics to remove features as well where possible. I, and um, I am smiling and nodding my head so much. This is yeah. <laughs> what, what, what an amazing gig. Yeah, no, it's really good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I covered the customer engagement parts already and yeah, and the pairing and mobbing we've discussed already as well. So yeah, um, where possible, try to, to do it. Um, often like in conferences, people go away from a conference talk thinking they're not doing things right. And often maybe in a podcast, sometimes people think I'm not doing all those things, but I guess day to day, this is over three years that we've been trying to do these different things. They've been small experiments. Some things work, some things haven't. And it's just trying to do, you know, best effort all the time. We don't always get it right. And we don't yeah. always do all these things perfectly, but it's very important for people to know too. It's important to try things, have those experiments and see what works and, and just do your best to keep to the principles, I guess. Yeah. Everyone's at a different place on their journey. And there is uh, a good reason why one of the principles is to be a driver for continuous improvement and just get a little better all the time. Retros. Yeah. And Brent and I have both said how much we love retros, because even if you just do 
one improvement from a retro that you have every two weeks. That's, I mean, that's not even enough in my opinion, but that's 26 improvements to your process and your product over the year, which isn't horrible, but then think, oh, we can spread that out. And, and it would be silly to do that little. We should do, each team should do a retro. Maybe she should do it every week. And, and those improvements add up, those tiny improvements add up and you end up building a lot of great stuff. You think about what's slowing us down. What do we need to keep on doing? What can we stop doing? However you want to format that that discussion and great ideas come out of it. And also it it follows some lean practices of everyone has a, a voice. You get everyone on the team involved and anyone can have ideas for how to improve. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like like lean is a great thing to learn about. Um I guess as a rule of you know as a rule of thumb to learn about you know the likes of Toyota and and how they became successful because you know like you're saying you know in the the lean startup and books like that there's so much to learn there because I know you allude to yourselves mm-hmm. is that a lot of that is the the groundwork for a lot of the seven principles. Yes, yes, and then I was just just made this connection, but Toyota with with everyone being empowered and anyone can shut down the assembly line, it is a precursor to whole team quality. And when I was listening to what you were talking about, you truly have whole team quality. Uh, as I mentioned on the podcast and and probably elsewhere, I read an article a while back where someone said, I really believe in whole team quality. It's so important. In fact, our tester, our developers write unit tests for almost everything before they give it to the test team. And I'm thinking that's not whole team quality. What you're talking about, Connor, that's whole team quality. Everyone everyone cares and everyone's doing their part. Uh, mobbing is about whole team quality, one feature at a time. Uh, getting everyone to talk to each other about what's going on with the product, that's whole team quality. So it's it's. I think it's a good example. Well, thank you. <laughs> this has been, I say this to everyone, I think, but I, I love hearing the story. I've, I don't think I've smiled this much in one of these so far, because there's so much I like and so much I'm just excited that you get to be a part of. It's a little bit of jealousy. Uh, you may have a lot of people wanting to move to Cork and join you, but uh, I know it's a small company, probably not hiring a lot, but but very, very exciting. Thank yeah. you uh, very much for being for volunteering and, and being here and sharing your stories. I think it's going to be a lot of help to the community. Excellent. Thanks, Adam. And Poplar are actually growing. We got an investment this time last year. So if people do want to move to Cork and want to, to work in Poplar, uh, get in touch. <laughs> All right. And I, <laughs> I know we can get a hold of you on Twitter at ConnorFI, and I'll put that in the show notes. Any other blogs or any other things you want me to link to? Um, I blog um, at Connor, connorfy.com as well. So uh, probably not blog as much as I, I'd like to. Uh, maybe in the new year, I'll try to blog a bit more. But that's uh, you'll find some of my blogs there on software testing. And I do a little bit of blogging on public speaking there too. All right. I will put it in the notes and we'll get this out probably in the next week or so. Uh, so congratulations on being the first ABT343 of 2020. That's a lot of numbers and letters, but I think everybody understands. And uh, have a have a good evening. Uh, have a good New Year, and uh, we'll talk and interact with you soon. Yeah, happy New Year to you, Alan. Take care.